Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. We have been spending lately, this, uh, this latter part of the summer, uh, our Sunday mornings, looking back into the Old Testament at some wild and crazy stories. And, uh, we're, we've been looking at these stories to be inspired by ordinary people who are just ordinary, everyday people, but they have done extraordinary things for God because of extraordinary faith. Um, I'm excited next week. Melissa is going to be uh, finishing, she's going to be rounding out, finishing up our series, kind of come up here and preach for you, and that is going to be amazing. I know you're going to love Mel with one more ordinary slash extraordinary character. But today, I am talking about uh, a character in, in the Old Testament. It's a woman this is somebody who finds herself truly in a uh, horrific way of life, a, a terrible standard of living. And then one day, just as she might, you, you could imagine she might have been thinking, well, it can't get any worse. She finds herself face to face in even a more of a nightmare scenario, uh, ex- an existential threat to, to her and everybody she loves. But God, God moves in this situation, in this terrible situation, she finds herself uh, headed for absolute destruction on a scale most of us cannot even fathom. This woman that we're going to look at has an encounter with the living God and dares to place her faith. I mean, she basically places her the last egg in her basket. She places her faith in God. She surrenders to the mercy of God. And that woman is Rahab. Rahab, that's who we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'll say this again, uh, as I've mentioned a couple times in consideration of all of our beautiful children in here, uh, our story today will be edited for television, as they say, um, where it's necessary. Um, the story of Rahab is part of, of course, the larger story of the conquest, the fall of the city of Jericho. Now, if you were like me and if you grew up in church world, you heard about Jericho probably back in kids world, you know, from the little stories and things like that. It was a fun story. It's a, you know, the city and the walls come tumbling down. Um, when I was a little kid hearing uh, about the story, um, it was, what I didn't know was it was a sort of edited for television story even back then. It turns out as many, if not most of the stories of the Old Testament are that we grew up with, um, it's always kind of fun for me just, you know, personally um, to, to look out and see some of the faces on people uh, when we bring out some of the elements of these stories that we realize they are kind of rated MA in a lot of ways. Uh, if you grew up with the VeggieTales version of the stories, um, sometimes it can be like a wah shock um, Nevertheless, we will kind of tread carefully this morning and save, uh, we'll save a few details for a later date when it's just us older folks. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them over to Joshua chapter 2. That's where our story starts to take place here. Um, as I said, this is part of the larger story of, of Jericho, the walls falling down, that good stuff. We're not going to be concentrating on that so much as this character of Rahab. Um, We're going to go back in time, though. Let's set up the scenario. If you're not familiar with the story, we're going back to the very first moments in Israel's history. This is the point in their story uh, when the Hebrew people have been wandering for 40 years in the desert, and they have not really yet become a nation. They don't really think of themselves as anything yet except a tribe of wandering nomads who were recently rescued by God from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And after 40 years of this wandering, um, the Hebrew people 
most of whom were either, were either kids when they left Egypt or they were born out in the desert uh, after leaving Egypt, they're finally ready to cross the Jordan River and claim the land that was promised to them by God. And the first city that stands in the way when they cross this river into, you know, what we think of as the promised land or modern-day Israel, what stand, the first city that stands in their way is the Canaanite stronghold, Jericho. Jericho. Uh, fun fact, Jericho, of course, still exists today. I've been there. That was, it's, that was an interesting experience to be in, you know, Jericho. It's a city today. It is still the lowest city on earth. Did you know that? It's uh, uh, 800 feet below sea level. It's one of the lowest places. Uh, they, they, and they have, un, it's one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities on the planet. They have unearthed archaeologists at least 20 different settlements just built one on top of the other where Jericho stands, dating back 11,000 years. That's just hard to fathom that people have just been living in the same place that long. Um, and so at the time of our story here, which would be about 3,500 years ago, uh, Jericho was actually a small city. It, you, could, you could walk around it in about 30 minutes, they say, uh, Jericho, but it was a very, it was strongly fortified. It had thick, high walls around it. So it's a small city, but very fortified. So let's dive into the text. We're in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to start right there in verse 1. Here we go. Then Joshua, Joshua's in charge of the, the charge of the Hebrew people now. Moses has passed away, so Joshua's job now is to kind of lead them into the next chapter of their lives, into the promised land. Joshua, son of Nun, always sounds like an oxymoron to me, Uh, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, we'll say it that way, so the 12-year-olds don't giggle. Joshua says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a harlot. I'm going to use that sort of old-fashioned word. It's a little more euphemistic than the word that might be in your NIV. Named Rahab and stayed there. Literally, the Hebrew word is they went into the house and slept there. There's a lot of interesting questions raised behind why they picked this spot um, as soon as they broke into the city to do some spying to take a nap. We'll leave that loaded language for another time. Just to clear up one uh, interesting sort of debate some scholars have here, a question folks might have. It depends on your translation. Your, your, your Bible might say uh, Rahab the innkeeper, or it might say harlot, or a word like that. The reason for that is very simple, and there's some debate like, oh, was she an innkeeper? Was she a harlot? The reason is uh, yes, both. <laughs> In the ancient Near East, about this time, 3,500 years ago, this was a term that was most often used for the same thing. Um, uh, whether it was an, an inn or a brothel was thought of as serving the same function. Interesting fact, right up until about a few, few hundred years before Jesus, um, this served the same function. Because it, what, what, what it was is the culture of the day, if you can imagine, there was this very strong ethic back then in that culture of hospitality. And if you went to someone's house or anything like that, knocked on the door, they would let you in. And they, it was just expected, if you were a stranger wondering, they would house you. They would give you room and board uh, and uh, not charge you anything like that. And so what was understood was if you went to a place and paid 
for a night's sleep, then you were asking for more than room and board. So that's kind of what's going on here. So that's why innkeeper and the other thing means the same thing. So um, we also know from the story, Rahab, she's unmarried. She has no children. And in that day and age, uh, we're seeing probably a situation where she was forced into whatever, for whatever reason, maybe her husband died or something, and she had nothing else. Regardless, this is a way of life uh, that no one back then would choose by choice if they had a choice. Here's something else that we do know. These Hebrew spies, they sort of stink at their job. Uh, yeah, so not only do they start their mission with a nap, the very next verse tells us that they are immediately discovered and the king of Jericho is told that they're hiding out. So these are not crack undercover agents, okay, who have gone to Jericho. They break into the city. They immediately get busted by the locals. You know, maybe they were wearing this shirt that said like promised land or bust or something. It gave them away. They shouldn't, you know, they, they just weren't on the, on the ball. Uh, but what happens next is kind of like an episode of Keystone Cops to me, if you're old enough to know what that reference is. Uh, the, the cops come to Rahab's house and they're banging on the door and they're like, Oi, Rahab, bring, bring them out. We know they're there. And, and, you know, and I could just imagine it's kind of like one of those scenes from a show, you know, she's like, just a minute. And there's like things banging around inside. She's shoving them in a closet, that sort of thing. And she runs to the door. Finally, you know, huffing and puffing, like holding a cup of tea, like she's just been standing there all by herself um, and saying, oh yeah, those guys you're looking for. Uh, she says that, well, I, I didn't really know who they were, but they ran down the road. And once it got dark outside, they, they took off. If you leave now, you can probably catch them. If you run really fast and go far away, you could probably catch them, right? This is what Rahab's telling them. Um, and so uh, they, what, happens, what happens in the story I find interesting is immediately Rahab the harlot, Rahab the innkeeper, has become Rahab the rescuer. She's become Rahab the rescuer. She becomes, in, in this moment, the one that God uses to protect his people. So the soldiers take off. They run down the road in the middle of the night looking for the, the spies. And actually, what she's done is hidden them right there on the roof under some, some brush. Now, some folks have pointed out here that something else is sort of troubling here when you think about it. And that is that Rahab's response to the soldiers is a lie right? She lies here. I mean, she's lighting, she's hiding the spies, she's lying to her king, she, she's lying to the cops. And so, you know, it kind of begs the question, is lying bad all the time, or, or is sometimes it okay, or what's going on here? Um, we could put it this way, that lying or being deceitful in order to protect your own face is always, is always sin, right? The, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the one says, you shall not bear false witness against your, your neighbor, right? To false witness against somebody. But we have to face up to the fact that the Bible also clearly mentions several instances where disobeying those in authority or lying to those in authority isn't just allowed, it's actually praised as, as a blessed act when, and here's the key, when love is the ultimate goal, okay? Lying is never shown as an acceptable pattern for the life of a Christ follower when, when, when it comes to we're disobeying authority or something like that just because we don't like it or we want to avoid the trouble that we got ourselves into or something like that. But what, what we see is Christ followers, those of us made in the image of God, we're called to do things every day that we don't like, 
right? We're called to do things every day. We're called to lay down our rights just as Jesus came and he laid down his rights to be one of us. We lay down our rights that we believe we have out of love for others. So we see the common thread here. It's all about love. Love is that common thread, right? It's love. You remember the story we talked a couple years ago, I think, you know, when we were looking at Moses and the story of Moses as a little baby and Pharaoh had issued a decree to get rid of all the baby boys. And what did, you remember the two women uh, who, they were the Hebrew midwives who hid Moses away. They disobeyed the Pharaoh. Anybody remember their names? Shipra and Pua. Very good. Yeah, some of you, yeah, yeah. And they go down in history as like these great heroes of Israel for lying to Pharaoh, right? Because he's like, did you get rid of all the babies? And they're like, oh, we just didn't get a chance to, right? And so they, they, there, there's these instances where we see this um, in, in Scripture. And their, their lie was acceptable to God because they lied for the love of others. They lied valuing life over law. They valued life, not about the preservation of themselves. So we've said this before that... If our mind is set on loving others above ourselves, if that is where we are approaching every situation, loving others above ourselves, and that's what Jesus says to do. That's the last thing he says is love others the way I've loved you. If that's where we've set our mind and we act out of that motivation, then we, we will fulfill the spirit of the, of the law regardless of the letter of the law. So we've got, we need to make it our mission. Make it your mission to love others as you love yourself, and you will always fulfill all that God wants of you. And, and when it comes to, to obedience, Christians, are we are called to honor, respect, and submit to authority, to earthly authority, but we're, we're never called to obey. And it's good to make that distinction as Christians today. We are called as Christians to honor, respect, submit to earthly authority, but we're not always called to obey. We're not always called to obey. And the difference, again, is love of others. If we're disobeying our, the authorities out of a Christ-like love of others, that's very different from disobeying because it's just more convenient or more comfortable. As Christians, we belong, and this is the reason why I'm, I'm harping on this, as Christians, we belong to a kingdom and a culture that is not of this world, right? Do, we, do you believe that? You belong. You, you have been grafted in. You have been adopted into a kingdom and a culture that is not of this world. You know, I think back into the mid-1800s, there were people who were filled with the Spirit of God, who disobeyed the law of their land, who helped rescue slaves from the South and sneak them into freedom across state lines. Right? In World War II, there were heroes in Europe who defied their Nazi masters, their, the rulers, to hide Jews in their homes until they could spirit them to safety. And in this story, we have Rahab, a woman who somehow has this miraculous revelation of her place in history. I mean, regardless of the, the culture she was raised in, what she was taught was right and wrong and, and the paradigms of everything, she has this revelation of her place in history of the sinful state of her own culture, even though her culture told her something else was right and wrong, what, what right and wrong was. And she has this revelation of the one true God. Who is the one true God? And the Hebrew people who worship him. 
And so she makes this brave decision to engage in criminal behavior out of recognition of who this God really is. And that's very inspirational to me. We, we get another, a further glimpse into Rahab's motivation in the very next verse. We find out she's, she's not just thinking of herself here. She has a lot more going on. She, there's a lot more at stake. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt, what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is fascinating. This woman who lives on the margins of her own society, she has this revelation. She knows Yahweh. She knows God. She's heard the story somehow. She's picked up the buzz around town, right? And there's something else. Uh, this is so cool to me. There's something else really familiar about her words uh, right here. And I want to show you what it is. Okay, 40 years earlier, before this was happening, the world witnessed a miracle when thousands of Hebrews walked across the dry floor of the Red Sea. They got to the far beach, turned around, to watch the ocean rush back in on, and swallow up the Egyptian army that had been in pursuit, okay? We know that story. What we're told right after that is Moses and his sister Miriam lead the Hebrew people in a song that became famous throughout the land. It's, it's known as the Song of Miriam. And I want to read you an excerpt from it. This is from Exodus chapter 15. So this is 40 years before. A couple, of, a couple of verses from it. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Verse 11 says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Verse 14. It says, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. And the people of Canaan, that's Jericho, will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. This was the song. This was the song everybody was singing, right? This was top 40. They were planted every hour on KSBJ. When, when these two Hebrew spies were born and grew up, this is the song that mama sang to them at night. They grew up singing it around the campfire. This is the song of Miriam they knew, right? 40 years later, what do these two Hebrew spies standing in front of this Canaanite harlot hear her say? We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What on earth is happening right here? 
try to imagine. Can you imagine what these two guys are like saying to each other? They're like, excuse me, will you give us one second? Dude, she's a Canaanite woman. I know, I know, but she like knows God, man. I, but dude, she's like a harlot. What do we, she knows the song. Are you hearing her? Right? They, and they, they're going back and forth like, what is happening? What, what, are, what are we listening to right here? Right here, Rahab stands and makes this bold statement of faith. And this is as bold a statement of faith as, as anything in the Torah of the character of God in terms of his nature and his character. She's saying, I know your God and I know his power. But see, she knows something else, not just his power. She's counting on something else. So read the next verse. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord. She's invoking his name. She's using his name. By the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters. So there's other people at stake here now. It's not just her and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. This word kindness is translated here is this Hebrew word has said, and it doesn't just mean you've been kind of nice to me, so I'm going to be nice to you. Has said is a covenant loyal love. It is a love that says we are now one. Has said is a love that would later be translated by the Greek word agape. This is the perfect love, the unfailing love, the, the very DNA of God. Agape has said it, it is a love that is willing to lay down its life for another person. It's, it's a sacrificial love. And Rahab stands in front of these two spies, two men who, let's face it, they probably came into that, that house looking at her like she was an animal, like everybody else here is as good as dead. They're just walking pieces of meat right now. That's, that's got to be what they're thinking. Who on earth would care about this woman? She is the least among a city that is already marked for death. She's completely vulnerable in this moment. She's laying it all on the line. She has been used in every way we can imagine by every type of person. She's been marginalized in her own community for sure. She's powerless to control her own situation. She's a victim of a, a sick and twisted institution. She is a slave. It's the only way you could say it. She was facing death, and everyone she loved was facing death. And she looks these guys in the eyes, and she says, I have shown you Hesed. Will you show me Hesed? And these I love. As she gathers her family, her community in her arms as she speaks. I get, and I wonder how these guys, these two spies felt as they looked into her eyes in that moment. I mean, these are human beings we're talking about. These aren't cartoon characters. These human beings, as they, knowing what they were there to do, what had already been done to a couple of cities along the way, the people who stood in their way, knowing what was still in store for these cities in the future, in the coming weeks, who stood in their way. For these two guys, this is an inconvenient revelation of, of her humanity. This is some reality that was not convenient to know or think about for them. And these spies, 
have a complete change of heart. Look at what they say next. Our lives for your lives. This is an oath. This is an oath saying we consider you an equal with us. They didn't even go back and ask permission of this. They didn't ask Joshua, hey, can we do this? Can we make this deal? Doesn't even show them like praying and asking God, can we do this? God's already given a command. They make an oath, pledging her safety, giving their word here. And I think in this moment, what is happening here is these two Hebrew men have as much of a revelation. Remember, we've talked about how these guys are all, they're learning who God is as they go along. I think this is a moment. They have a revelation as much as Rahab is having a revelation. Because in this moment, they don't just see this foreigner, this Canaanite, as just this other, this sort of non-human who occupies our land, you know, why are you even here? No, no. They are forced to see this is a flesh and blood human being who shares in the love and the worship of Yahweh who gets God. This woman embraces divine hesed, and maybe they thought they were the only people who got to do that. They were the only people who got to enjoy God's hesed. And now they realize, and they're, and they're convicted. And they say, yes, our lives for yours. And so they get together and they map it all out. Okay, here's what we're going to do. They're like, look, when we come back, <laughs> when this thing goes down, it's going to get crazy. All right, so here's what you do. Gather all your family in this room. Everybody you love, have them in this room because it's going to get nuts outside. And, and they make an oath. They said, if anybody is hurt, their blood will be on our heads. They, may, they swear it. In other words, you can take our lives. That, that was the oath of the day. And with this agreement, they take off. She actually helps them. She gives them some directions how to escape from the region without getting caught. She lets them down uh, by a red rope. There's a whole sermon there. Uh, from, from her window to the ground outside the walls of the city. Her house, it said, was actually built into the wall of the city so she can let them out right down into the, the area outside the city. And they hide out in the hills for a few days to kind of the coast gets clear, everything calms down, just as she tells them to. And they finally make it back safely to camp to report to Joshua everything that happened. And they say to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. There's that phrase again. And what happens next is what everybody learned on the flannel graphs when they were a kid. The battle of Jericho takes place, right? The city falls, literally. The walls fall. That's a whole other story. And in all of the chaos and all the bloodshed that happened, the spies kept their word and they went in and they rescued Rahab and her whole family. I want to look at a couple of take-home points that we can, we can take from this before, before uh, giving you a concluding thought here. Number one, what can we learn from Rahab? Number one, we seem to insist on looking at the outward appearance. It's like human. We just, we almost can't help ourselves. We look on the outward appearance. We tell ourselves not to, but we do it anyway. But God looks at the heart and he keeps telling us, don't look on the outside because I'm looking on the inside. So look at Rahab. We just look at her outward appearance. Here's here's a Canaanite, a harlot, a liar, a traitor. I mean, in, in all the movies, she would be the bad guy. But God looks past all these labels straight to the heart and says, she's one of mine. That girl's mine. That's my girl. He sees a woman who is 
as righteous, if not more so, than these two spies. He, doesn't, he sees past the categories. Man, I love categories. Let's be honest, I love categorizing people. It makes things so simple. It makes things so easy. That person's that. They're that. And God says, how can you do that? You don't know their heart. You don't know their heart. God doesn't paint with broad strokes when it comes to human beings because he loves every single one of them, doesn't he? He does. He loves you. He loves me. So he must be able to look past a whole lot of labels. Number two, we must not confuse the culture that we're born into with the kingdom of God that we've been adopted into. Okay? Let me say that again. We mustn't confuse the culture we're born into with the kingdom of God that we're adopted into. We cannot throw our allegiance behind our culture and at the same time fully engage God's kingdom. You just can't do it. I've tried it. I've tried to keep a foot in both camps. You just can't do it. We have to make a choice. At some point, you've got to make a choice. And Rahab challenges me with that. She does not keep a foot in both camps here. I have, she forces me to ask, am I willing to be a traitor to my own way of life? Am I willing to throw aside all those little unspoken rules and agreements, you know, that kind of keep me comfortably in the little club of privilege, that keep me from rocking the boat? Am I willing to rock that boat, or do I want even more to reflect my citizenship in the kingdom of God? Is that the most important thing I want people to see? Is that the testimony that I live to to project, to tell, that God has adopted me into a new kingdom, a new culture, even if it means making, making me some enemies? You have to ask yourself that. Number three, in God's eyes, love trumps law. So it should for us too. Love trumps law. We see this over and over in the scriptures. We talk about this almost every one of these stories that we've been looking at is some example of love overriding the letter of the law. And who, when you look at here, I'm seeing, I, you, I just want to make sure you really understand all that is happening in this story. God seems to bend a whole bunch of rules for Rahab. All right? Now remember, this is the Old Testament. This is Old Testament. This isn't like Jesus, who's like carries lambs and plays with kids, and he's got the feathered hair, and he's sweet to everybody, right? This is Old Testament God. The Torah strictly condemns people in her line of work by penalty of death, period, penalty of death. What we're getting here is a glimpse of that Jesus, the Jesus of love here. And here's something else Israel had been told. They had been strictly told this before entering the promised land. This is from Deuteronomy. This is one of the rules, like one of the last things Moses gave them before they, you know, went into the, cross the river. In the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites. 
Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. By the way, that's exactly what happens. They don't kill everybody, and they, <laughs> they end up worshiping a whole bunch of gods. Uh, but here, look what happens here. God's mercy trumps the, the Torah's absolute rule about what you're supposed to do when you encounter Canaanites. In another place, the Torah condemns intermarriage, condemns it, intermarriage between Jews and Gentiles. Don't do it. Can't do that. And Rahab ends up being welcomed into the Hebrew community. And she doesn't just like have to walk behind the community a few miles. She is welcomed into the community. She marries an Israelite. We are told that she becomes the mother of Boaz, who marries Ruth. She becomes the great-grandmother of King David and an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Come on, son. (laughs) Right? Rahab, the one who's not supposed to be allowed to live. God breaks all his own rules. He will break any rule if it means saving somebody whose heart is seeking him. Do you understand that? God will break any rule if somebody is seeking him. And if you don't believe me, you're going to have a really hard time when you like learn about the crucifixion, because that is the ultimate rule crush God does. He breaks all of the rules when he does that. So I have to ask myself, am I willing to set aside my judgment to allow God to reach people who are seeking him in ways maybe I don't even understand at first? Are we, allow, are we, ready to, are we willing to allow God to be God? Because God is love. Are we going to let him be God of love? Are we going to let him? Let me give you a concluding thought before we go. Um, the NBA finals are on. My boy uh, Mason and I were watching them yesterday. We're watching the Rockets. They almost won. Uh, but, but it's, I don't know about you, like I don't really even watch basketball that much. You know, I'll like look at the scores every once in a while. But the fact that basketball is on TV just feels so good. Like it feels so 2019. I'm like, oh, this just feels right. There's basketball. And they're like playing in a bubble and they can't leave the hotel and all this kind of weird stuff. But still, it's on TV. There's like paper people in the audience. Have you seen this? The cutouts. It's so funny. But it's basketball and it's NBA. And so my, my boy and I, we were just watching it last night and we're, we're rooting for everybody. And one of our star players on the Rockets is, is hurt, so he's not been playing. And so they, they've been asking this question a lot, like who's going to step up? Who's going to step up for the Rockets to be, you know, and they have a term for this person, and that is, it's called the X factor. The X factor. You ever heard this term? Who's going to be the X factor? And in sports, it's used to refer to a player on the team that you don't really expect to uh, have a huge impact on the game. They're not like the superstar, you know, the guy making the, the hundreds of millions of dollars. But this, the, the X factor is that person. They say, that's going to be the person that steps up. It comes off the bench and saves the day, makes the winning shot, the unsung hero, okay? And so Mason and I, you know, we've been, we've been watching the Rockets, like who's going to step up? Who's going to be the X factor and, and win the game? Because James Harden can't do it all by himself. He needs some help, right? Who's going to make those moves to help us win? That unexpected difference maker. And I look at this story of Rahab, and I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was like, man, oh, I see an X factor here. Who would have guessed in the story of Israel, when you're looking at the great heroes or, you know, the great leaders, the generals or the whoever, the prophets and all this kind of stuff, that it, at its turning point, when it was entering into the promised land, 
It would be a Canaanite harlot who would make the difference. And she is forever recognized in Israeli history as one of the great heroes of the nation. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith, she's listed among the heroes of the hall of faith, like right up there with Abraham. There's Rahab. And we're told that it was by her faith she was saved. I think that's interesting too. She was saved by her faith. Not because she lived a perfect life. She didn't. Not because she checked off all the religious boxes. She made lots of wise life decisions. No. She put her trust in God. And she got her name in the book. She put her trust in God. Apostle James in chapter 2, verse 25, he highlights her as a woman of faith. And she is honored as this woman who made a huge difference in the, in the course of human history. So this challenges me. Do you know what? I want to be an X factor. I, I want to be a person in God's kingdom who makes a difference. I don't just want to be someone back at the camp going along for the ride, doing my little Sunday morning duty, you know, until we all get to the sweet by and by. I want to be an X factor. I want to come off the bench. I want to be the one who makes a difference for the kingdom. And I can look around the, the building today. I see all around the room and I see different people and I, the things that you do, the way, different ways, people who volunteer in all these different ways. And I see a whole bunch of X factors in this room. And there, there's folks all around you that maybe you, you don't see up here in front of the, you know, the camera or up on stage much. There might be people you don't even know their name. You just see them. They're always scurrying around, like doing stuff, right? You haven't, maybe you haven't met them, but they're men and women who love God with their entire heart. And they throw themselves into ministry like, people, like people's lives depend on it. That's an X factor. There are people who do what it takes to make this church a real community and, and, and an outreach and a place for those who are broken and homeless and hurt and seeking to come and, and receive Jesus because he's the only thing that can change what's going on in their life. Those are the X factors. Team generations. It's a whole bunch of beautiful X factors. Unsung heroes. And the body of Christ has a bunch of X factors. People who, those are the people who leave on Sunday morning. They leave here after having done their little religious duty by coming. But they leave here, and for them, ministry is just getting started. It starts when they leave. Because they're the ones who are going to go out into the whole world. They're, the, they're going to go out into the circles that God has planted them in and be Jesus to everybody they meet reflect Jesus to everybody. They're, they're disciples who make disciples. They're children of God who reflect his love to everybody they come across. They reflect his love at, at work, at school, to their neighbor on social media. They reflect his love. Those are the X factors. Who would have thought Rahab the harlot? And by the way, she's still called that in the New Testament. How messed up is that? <laughs> That's, that's rough. Like at some point, if I'm Rahab, I'm like, guys, seriously? It's been like a few thousand years. Can we drop the uh, tag? Can I just be Rahab? It's going to make it really uncomfortable in heaven. Be like, oh, Rahab the harlot. Oh, and she's probably like, yay. 
You're Dave the liar. It's so good to see you. Yay. Sarah the gossip. We'll just call her Rahab. Let's just call her Rahab. How about it? If you're sitting there today, if you're sitting there and you feel insignificant, if you feel merely average, like you're a person of, of little knowledge or you have very little strength or you have very little wisdom, you possess very little, Rahab teaches us that people in that situation, God can use you as an X factor for his kingdom. The key, I think, is to think like Rahab and say, it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what I've done. I know who God is, and I believe in his power, and not just in his power, but I have glimpsed his hased. I've glimpsed his love. And, and then with that conviction of who God really is and how much he really loves us, we can place what little we have into his service, and we can be that game changer. And may we all be people, may we all, generations, friends, can we all be people who see every single human being, whatever we may think of their situation, as infinitely loved, infinitely valued by God. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Father God, Lord, today as we, we, we stare into the life of Rahab, a woman we really know very little about, we don't know everything about the painful life that she had, and yet we know that when this moment came, she understood who you were. She got your heart. And in that moment, she said, God, use me in any way that you can. Lord God, I pray that generations would be such, we would be like a movement, Lord God, that we would be a people who get your heart so that when the moment comes, we can say, God, use us. Lord God, you're not the God of the proud. We know that. You're the God of the humble. You've chosen the foolish things of the world to, to shame the wise. You've chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You've chosen the lowly things of the world, the despised things, to reveal the greatness of your heart. So none of us can boast. God, we surrender our lives to you today. In the crucified and resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his favor towards you and grant you peace in this day we're living in. Grace and peace to you.